Yeah, participants, greetings and welcome to this final session of the um, webinar series on publishing agricultural development research in social science journals. Um, as you know, these webinar series are co-organized by the CGR Research Program on Policy, Institution and Market, the CGR Standing Panel on Impact Assessment, and African Women in Agricultural Research and Development. My name is Michelle Mbochuaou. I serve as the Deputy Director Program at the African Women in Agricultural Research and Development. This is a word uh, hosted at the World Agroforestry Center, ICRAF in Nairobi, Kenya. It's really a great honor and pleasure for me to, to chair this webinar on writing and responding to referees' reports. This session will particularly focus on the specifics of the referee process and particularly on why and how to do good reviews, how to respond to referees' reports. As you know, many researchers um, try to publish articles in good journals, but this process is often very lengthy or fairly complex uh, because it entails different uh, stages. And one of these stages is actually responding appropriately to referees' comments in such a way that one can maximize the chances of subsequent um, acceptance and publication. And in this same process, you may be called upon to review and uh, write uh, referee reports. So how then do we write effectively and comprehensively? These are some of the questions we are going to address um, in today's seminar. I'm joining this panel discussion by our two key uh, speakers for today. These are uh, Cheryl Doss and J.V. Minakshi. Let me introduce them to you. I'll start with Cheryl. Cheryl Doss is an associate professor and senior departmental lecturer in development economics at the Department of International Development, University of Oxford. She's currently the editor of the journal Oxford Development Studies. She had served on the, the, on the editorial boards of the International Journal of Agricultural Sustainability, Feminist Economics, and the Journal of Gender, Agriculture, and Food Security. She's published widely in journals in agricultural economics, in development economics and development studies. J.V. Minakshi is professor at the Delhi School of Economics, University of Delhi, the top-ranked uh, economic department in India. She serves as an associate editor in the Indian Economic Review. She's also a member of the editorial board of Agricultural Economics and the Journal of Agribusiness in Developing and Emerging Economics. Um, she is an agricultural economist and has published in top field journal in the area of agriculture, health and development economics. She is also a member of the standing panel on impact assessment of the International Science for Development Council. So welcome Cheryl, welcome Mina, and thank you for taking time to shed some light on these processes. Before we proceed, a few logistical notes to our participants. So please, um, as the panelists will be speaking, submit your question on the question window on the right side of, the, of, of your screens. 
and um, we'll be taking the questions as they come. Uh, and when you ask a question, please let us know your name, where you are connecting from. If possible, you can indicate your organization. Uh, let us know also uh, to which speaker you would like to address your question. And um, yeah, we've been recording this webinar and the recording will be available on the PIM website uh, after this session. So back to the speakers, and I would like to invite Cheryl on her presentation on writing reviews, uh, after which we'll be taking uh, the first round of questions. So please feel free to start posting your question uh, on, the, on the question window, the right side of your screen. Cheryl, over to you. Great. Thank you, Michelle. So we're going to start by talking about writing reviews. And so the first question is, when you get invited to write a review by an editor, should you agree? Should you say yes? So the answer is yes, you should agree if, first of all, you want to check and make sure that it's from a reputable journal. So we talked about this quite a bit in the first session of this series, but that it, certainly if it's a journal that you know and have heard of, you should Think about saying yes. Um, certainly, if it's a journal that you hope to publish in, um, you ought to think about accepting the invitation. One of my criteria for whether I should agree to review a paper is whether it's something that I want to read anyways. If this is a paper that's in my field, that it's something that if it was published, I would want to read, then I often will say yes and agree to read and, and review it. And you should say yes, even if you're a young scholar, um, even, a, even if you're still a PhD student, you should feel comfortable saying yes and being willing to, um, to review a paper. You might want to tell the editor to make sure that they know that you're still a PhD student. But as an editor, I get some of my best reviews from people who are currently PhD students. So that alone shouldn't disqualify you. Sometimes you should say no. Um, if you get a paper and it's completely outside your area of expertise and you don't feel like you're comfortable doing that, um, you should say no. I, I will say that as an editor, sometimes I look for different reviewers who have different pieces of the expertise. I almost never find anybody as a reviewer who's written exactly on that topic, um, but I'll often look for one reviewer who really knows the topic and one who knows the particular location um, or, or country setting that the paper is in. Um, but if none of those um, are relevant, then you should be comfortable saying no. And if you're really not gonna be able to uh, provide the review in a timely manner, then you should say no and not agree to do it. Um, sometimes it's worth checking in with the editor um, if you think you may have a conflict of interest and you're not sure, you could check in with the with the editor. I often do this and will say things like, um, I know who this paper is written by and they're a co-author of mine, but I haven't been involved in writing this particular paper. Um, and sometimes they'll say, fine, go ahead and review it. And sometimes they'll say they want to find a different reviewer. If you know you can't do it in the allotted time, but could do it if they gave you an extra week or two, then it's worth asking the editor about that. But let me put in a plea as an editor, please don't ask for extra time 
and then simply not do it. Um, if you're not going to be able to do it in a reasonable amount of time, tell us no and we'll come back to you for another um, the next time. The other way to think about this and the response I get often asked by particularly young scholars is really, do, do I have to do this? Um, I got asked to do this. Do I, do I have to say yes? And the first piece is that reviewing papers for journals is part of the service that we all do for the profession. Um, any of us who publish papers, we expect that other people will review our work, and so we're obliged to review other papers. So you, you should be expecting that over the course of your career, you will be doing these, um, and that you, ha you have an obligation in some sense to say yes not to everyone, think about the criteria I just talked about, but in general, you do need to be doing reviews. Writing these reviews is a great experience. And I think particularly for, for young scholars to think, it really helps you to think about how papers are put together and what are the strengths and weaknesses of different papers. Um, trying to think about what this person could do to improve their paper, will really help you think about how your own papers are written um, and how they're reviewed. And I will say that just this weekend, I reviewed another paper. And in doing so, in articulating what they needed to do better, I figured out how to fix a paper that I was working on. They were on a little bit different topics. It wasn't that I was using their material, but the way I had to think about it to write the review was helpful for me in my own work. In thinking about writing reviews, you want to write the kind of reviews that you would like to receive, um, which doesn't mean we all want reviews that say, this is the best paper ever, we'll take it. Um, and that's not what I mean. But what I mean is papers, reviews that are really constructive, provide good, helpful comments, um, and help the paper move from the level it's at to the next level. Um, you can be both positive and critical, but, but in a tone that's constructive and helpful rather than something that's really negative. You should never say this is the worst paper I've ever read, even if it is. You want to think about how this is going to be received by the author who's, who's written. And again, if you decide you can't do the review, um, responding promptly to the editor is really helpful so they can go on and find somebody else. And if you have suggestions of alternative uh, reviewers, I just read this other paper by somebody else. I think they'd be a great reviewer for it. That's always really helpful for the editor. Um, so when it comes to actually writing the review, what is what do we actually need to do? Um, there's kind of four components to it. One is that many of the journals will ask you some very specific questions. Um, and and you need to answer those. Um, sometimes there'll be little text boxes in the online review that you need to fill in. Sometimes they'll tell you what they want you to say in your review, but it's really helpful if you can answer those, those specific kinds of questions. Then you have a set of comments to the author, a set of comments to the editor, and then you're also making a recommendation to the editor. So let's start with thinking about the comments to the author. This is doing when you're writing a review. So how should you think about structuring it? Start 
by stepping back and thinking about the big picture and write a couple of sentences that say what the paper aspires to do and what it actually does. Um, it's really helpful for the authors to see if what you think they're aspiring to do is what they also thought they were aspiring to do. Um, so what is it that you're getting out of the paper? Thinking about what does it do well? Um, what is the contribution that this paper is making to the literature? So start with the positive. Then big picture comments um, that express your concerns about the paper. What, what doesn't work? What makes you think that maybe this paper, as it's now written, shouldn't be published? It could be things about how the paper is framed. It could be about the methods or the empirical analysis or about the relevance of the paper to the journal audience. Um, generally, the editor will have done a first screening on it and won't send you anything that's really not a fit for, the, um, for that particular journal. And then a useful way to proceed is to go section by section, make a few broad comments on the sections. So on the literature review, on the conceptual framework, um, on the methods and data, um, are those sections effective? And then detail any more minor comments that you might have. Um, some hints into how to think about this. One that's really useful, particularly if you're like most of us, you get it, you say you'll do it, and then you put it away for a little while. When you get it, skim it. Make sure that the paper really is something that you're comfortable reviewing, even if you're going to put it down for a little while. Take a look at it and make sure that you're going to be able and comfortable reviewing it. If not, get back to the editor right away. It's really frustrating as an editor to have somebody come back six weeks later and say, you know, I finally looked at this and I, I think somebody else would be better, right? You've just wasted six weeks of time and think about yourself on the other end of that as the author. It can be really helpful to suggest some other literature, maybe some other papers that you think that the this particular one ought to engage with. Sometimes another body of literature that would be relevant. Um, it's really nice if you're going to do that to make a couple of suggestions and provide the references for it. It's really not appropriate to say that what they really need to do is read your own body of work and engage with everything you've ever written. Um, you can include one of your own papers if you think that would be helpful for them, but this really isn't a place to be promoting your own work. Um, it's also useful to think about the fact that what you're doing is you're evaluating the paper that they've written and submitted. Sometimes what you will find is that you really wish they had written a different paper that they had really framed it completely different or answered a different question. You're welcome to suggest that to them, but what you're doing as a reviewer is commenting on whether the paper that they've actually written makes a contribution. Um, so it, it's not really fair to say, this isn't the paper I would have written on the topic, and, um, and so I think it should be rejected. It's helpful to provide some concrete suggestions of what they could do to improve the paper. So if you think that there's a different empirical strategy or that they ought to use, try using um, some different variables to include in their econometrics um, analysis, really to provide, be very specific 
about it. It's not very helpful to provide really, really general kinds of comments. My, my, somebody's got their um, microphone on that I'm hearing. Um, so I'm not sure who that is. Um, the least helpful comment I ever got was on a paper that was, it was using descriptive statistics, fairly analytical, but just using descriptive statistics. And the reviewer said, this paper is not publishable because it doesn't have any regressions in it. But I had no, I thought about, I know how to do regressions. I had thought about it, but there really wasn't anything for this particular paper that we thought would be useful. And it wasn't very helpful to have me, have the reviewer tell me that they were looking to make sure I had done regressions, but no idea. They had no suggestions on what would be useful in terms of doing a regression. So the more kinds of concrete suggestions you can provide, the better. I've seen reviews where they really kind of suggest a ways to reframe it, and that can be really helpful for, for authors. Um, it's also helpful at this stage to identify both the pieces of the paper that really are successful. Um, so it's, it, it's easy in this situation to start critiquing everything. I didn't like this, I didn't like this. Um, but if you can say what works really well, as well as what needs fixing, then that helps to make sure that when they're rewriting things, they don't drop the parts that are really good um, and don't cut those. And, and the final hint is just to remember that it actually takes a fair bit of time to write a good referee report. Um, I think when you're younger and just starting out, it takes longer, um, but even so, it takes time. I usually read the paper through once kind of fairly quickly to see what it's trying to do, then sit back and read it much more carefully and take detailed notes on it, write up my comments. Um, and then I tend to let it sit for a day or two before I actually send it in and go back and make sure that my comments are actually would be clear to somebody who's reading them. So giving yourself a bit of time. What don't you have to do as a reviewer, particularly in your comments to the author? First of all, as a reviewer, you're not expected to replicate their model or to replicate their results. Um, you know, if they're deriving some new model, you, you can, if you want to, work through it, but you're not expected that you're gonna work through and make sure that they have done everything absolutely correctly. Kind of on the, you can think about it that on the technical material, you're not making sure that it's correct. What you're making sure is that the process that they're, they're showing you is correct and appropriate. You might note when results seem implausible. Um, so that's not really saying it's right or wrong, but I can't imagine how they got this magnitude of a, of a number. Or if they're getting this kind of a magnitude, that suggests that something else might be wrong somewhere in there. So you don't feel like you have to replicate it all, but whether those results seem reasonable and plausible is, is worth commenting on. From an editor's point of view, we really would prefer that you not make your recommendation about whether the paper is suitable for publication in the text of the comments to the author, um, because you may be the one person who really liked it and the other two reviewers don't like it, um, it's much harder as an editor to figure out what to do with it. 
right? We're sending out all three sets of reviews and to have one say, oh, this is publishable um, and the other two saying it's not, um, the authors get the authors get grumpy. They want to know why why we haven't decided to publish it. So keep that actual recommendation of what to do out of the um, response or the the comments to the authors. And finally, unless you're at the a, a revision and your or the paper is just amazingly wonderful and you're going to recommend that it be accepted or minor minor revisions on the first round, you don't need to worry about correcting typos. If there's a lot of typos or a lot of those kinds of things, you can say the paper really needs to be proofread and ask the author to please proofread it before they resubmit it, but you're not the copy editor. You don't need to worry about all of those. And it's particularly not helpful if you're suggesting that they restructure and rewrite big chunks of the text um, to then say, oh, and you put a comma in the wrong place on page four. It's not at that stage yet, and that's that's really not your job. So let's talk for a minute about comments to the editors. Um, the editor will read your comments to the author, so you don't need to replicate it all, but it's useful to kind of sum up what the key points are. What are the big things that you want the editor to be thinking about in making that final decision? Um, you might say a little more explicitly to the editor, this paper would be really good if the authors could do X and Y, but I don't know if they can do that given the data that they have. Or I'm really excited about this paper. Um, they've got a lot of work to do on reframing it and kind of putting it together, but the basic idea of this paper is really great. Those are really helpful things to put in your comments to the editor. You may also have other things you want to share with the editor. Concerns about possible plagiarism that you want the, uh, the editor to check on. Um, you might be concerned that this is too similar to another paper by the same or a different author. Um, I just had one as an editor where one of my reviewers said, this is a really good paper, but I just for another journal read something, pretty sure it's by the same authors, that's very, very similar. I don't think that both of these papers should be published. Um, that was really helpful as an editor for me to know. You can also, again, if you've got any conflicts of interest, um, if you realize that you know who the, often you will know who the authors of papers are if they're in your field. You may have seen them presented at a conference, but if there's something else that you'd like the editor to know, you can say it here in this particular section. The other thing you can do is to note if there's aspects of the paper that you're unable to review. To say, I really looked at this part, I understand, here's my comments on this, um, but I don't know the econometric approach that they're taking, or I don't actually know anything about the country where they're working in, so I hope you have somebody else looking at that. Um, so if there's, in your review, you feel like there's pieces that are missing, you can flag it there. Um, and typically the editor will have had, will have known and invited you to review based on who you are and what your expertise is. You'll then be asked to make a recommendation. Um, again, you can put some comments about it in the comments to the editor, explaining your reasoning. Pay attention to what the different journals, what that journal's categories are. There's kind of a range of them um, and they have, 
different journals use different ones. But it's also important to remember that the editor is the one responsible for making the decision. What you're doing is making a recommendation and providing some guidance for the editor, and they're going to make that decision. Um, so you don't have to worry um, too much about it. It's not. It, it's a responsibility to make a good recommendation, but the editor is the one who makes the final decision. Finally, this is just kind of a useful way to think about some of those different categories, what kind of a decision you might make. If there's no potential for a substantial contribution or the methods really are not robust and you don't see that they could be, or if the data is not appropriate to answer the question, We've all written papers where the data wasn't as good as we would like, um, but if really you can't answer the question with the data, then that's clear. That's a clear, straight out reject. If you think that there's some potential to make a substantial contribution, but it's not quite fully developed or adequately developed, then there might be two different things. It might need additional data analysis. So they might need to go back to their data and rerun a number of, a bunch of their analysis or they might need to really rework the, or reframe the paper in order to make the points that they're trying to make it, make it much clearer. In these cases, the recommendation would be one of the recommendations on reject, reject or revise and resubmit, depending on the, how that journal categorizes them. If there's a real clear potential, um, the literature, it's well-written and well-executed, um, there may be something that needs to be reworked or reframed. Um, then that might be a major revision. If it just needs um, minor edits or kind of clarification, then that would be a minor revision. Um, but again, you're going to make that recommendation, and then you're going to also explain and justify your recommendation in your comments to the editor. Finally, after you've done all of that, you're likely to get, if you've recommended that it be revised, sometimes even when you recommended that it be rejected, um, you will get another version of the paper, the revised version of the paper. Um, if you have been the first re a reviewer and you get a revision sent back to you, as an editor, I would ask you, please, if at all possible, agree to review the revision and do it fairly quickly. It's difficult to find a, a reviewer to read your comments and try to figure out if the concerns you had initially have been met. Um, and it doesn't always feel fair to the author. So just as you as an author don't like to have your paper sent to a new reviewer on the revision, think about it from the other side. And if at all possible, review it again and, and do it quickly. When you get these, one of the interesting things is to read the letters editor and the reports from the other reviewers. Did the other reviewers come up with the same kinds of things as you or something really different? And you want to read, read the response document. So Mina's going to talk in a few minutes about preparing that. But it's interesting. You want to read that, see how the authors uh, are claiming that they've responded to it. Generally, at this stage, we would ask you not to raise new major concerns um, about things that were in the original version. So don't say, oh, now that I read this again, I've decided that I want you to do something completely different or I really don't like this. Um, 
generally that's not appropriate. If on the other hand, they've clarified something, right? Something was not clear in the initial one, in the first version, and now they've clarified it. Sometimes they clarify it and you'll say, great, that's what I needed, it's ready to go. Occasionally they will clarify it and you'll say, oh no, really, is that what you did? No, that won't work at all, <laughs> right? That You can't do that with that data, you can't use that with that approach. That's appropriate to say no, then it's not acceptable in that case. Um, but mostly what you're doing and writing in your, um, your report this time is whether they've adequately responded to your concerns and whether there are any remaining ones. And if it's at that point, um, the paper's likely to be accepted, you might have some small stylistic things that you'd like to report on. You still don't need to do copy editing and talk about, you know, where there's a comma missing. But if there's something a little bit more stylistic, that would be the time when you can mention that. So with that, I'm gonna stop, actually I'll stop there. And I think we're gonna take a few questions and then I'll turn it over to Mina. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for these very useful insights on the do's and don'ts of uh, uh, reviewing and writing um, uh, uh, reviews. Uh, it's particularly good to know that at every stage of our careers as researchers, we can take this exercise and even learn from it as we also continue to write and uh, and submit our papers for publication. Let's see the questions we have already. There's one question here about um, contrasting views of re uh, reviewers. Um, we have here, what can we do if two reviewers are, are contradicting uh, each other? So for instance, you have one who is saying, uh, this section is not needed in the paper, and the other one is saying the session is so important. The section is so important. We we need to keep it there. Cheryl, what do you think we can do about that? You know, I think I'm going to hold off on that question until after Mina talks because Mina she's going to talk about yeah. she's going to talk about responding to reviewers, um, and I think she's going to address that exact question. Yep. Okay. We can we can then get it at, at that point. Um, it's just interesting to see <laughs> that this comes sometimes when we are in a in a review process. Um, the second question here is about the acknowledgement section that we have in the papers, and the the, the, the we have the question is um, that this particular note can damage both the reviewing process the blind review process. And I think this goes with what you were talking about, the conflict of interest um, in, in, in such a process. So how, how then do we deal with this um, if we know who the authors are? So there's two pieces of this. One is that many, so you don't want your acknowledgements typically to be in the text of what will get sent to the reviewers. So exactly. most of the journals now, while you're 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 submitting it all online, and there's typically a little box that you have to fill in on the acknowledgments, um, that mm -hmm. then won't go to the reviewers, right? 
so you don't want you, you don't want the acknowledgments to be in the document that's going to the reviewers. Uh -huh. um, so that's the first bit. If you're a reviewer, so more we often as reviewers know whose paper we're reviewing. Um, it's supposed to be a double blind process. But if we're going to conferences, if we're sharing our work early in stages, talking with people about it, often we'll have a pretty good idea of who those authors are. Um, if Again, if it's somebody that you know really well, you wanna let the editor know um, and let them decide whether or not you have a, a conflict of interest, but otherwise, um, otherwise not. Um, you, could, you should feel free to write the review as an editor, I've a couple times gotten letters from authors saying, you know, I got this, I had a reviewer, one of my reviewers when I submitted my paper to you, really didn't like the paper and I know who it is. They've really got it against me there. It's it's all there, you know, they've hated me ever since, you know, we sat together in, you know, macro theory in grad school or something, you know, I've, I've gotten amazing stories, right? And every time somebody has told me that and told me, that they know who it was and that the person had it into them they were wrong that wasn't that was not one of the one of the uh, one of the reviewers um so i wouldn't worry very much about that um but again keeping it keeping it um trying to keep it as, as double blind as you can keeping things like the acknowledgments out of the body of the paper that's sent to reviewers is the best way to do that Definitely, yeah. And then we have a question here on the recognitions for reviews. Uh, this is from Audrey Pereira. Um, she's asking about your opinion on problems and other websites uh, which normally verifies or give recognition to, to reviewers. What do you think about that? Um, there's no harm in doing those. Um, if you're at an institution that counts any of that and cares about whether you're doing reviews then that's great i'm not sure that it matters all that much um I, certainly when people are hiring for uh, assistant professor jobs in universities they're not particularly concerned about whether you've written good reviews or not but i don't i don't see any harm in in doing those um i will say that about, so as the editor for Oxford Development Studies, we asked people if they'd like to be recognized and only about 15 or 20% of authors opt in to, to do that and be on publons. I think in some fields it's more common than in others. So if somebody's telling you should, you should do it, why not? There's no harm in it. Yeah, you, you you also dwell, um, Cheryl, on the point of um, plagiarism, and there is a question here about the reviewer's responsibility for ensuring that um, there is no plagiarism. Um, is there anything you want to add on this specific one? Um, you're certainly not obliged as a reviewer to go through all of the literature anywhere else and see if there's any plagiarism. Um, if you're concerned about it or you have some reason to think that there's plagiarism and, and two kinds of plagiarism, right? One is plagiarizing somebody else's work and passing it off as your own. And the other one is 
writing a paper yourself that draws heavily on your own work without acknowledging it or, or really distinguishing it. Um, right, so you should only be, in some sense, you should only be publishing each piece of analysis of your own work one time. Um, and if you try to give it to the same, two, two different journals, basically the same analysis, that could be considered plagiarism. Um, but as it, so, right, if you've already read this paper published or something very similar to it, you can, you can flag it. The, the journal offices typically have ways to check on plagiarism as well. So, um, again, you're not responsible for reading everything and figuring out if they've Mm -hmm. plagiarize anything but if you see something that makes you uncomfortable on plagiarism or um as a right as a reviewer the same way when you're teaching you can sometimes tell that somebody has copied something because the writing style just completely changes in the middle of a section and all of a sudden it's written quite differently um that's often a sign that there's there's plagiarism and you can flag that for the editor you're not you don't have to go and Try to figure out exactly what was whether something was plagiarized and um, but but if you know that it was or you're concerned about it, you should flag that for the editor mm -hmm. and, and if in, in particular you know the work um that someone is putting out there is, is it appropriate for you to to to, to disclose that that uh, this paper is actually using um, some piece of work that you've seen somewhere else and also giving proof evidence of this? If you can say this paper reads and you know sounds very much like this other paper or it draws you know I just had one again as the as the editor of Oxford Development Studies where somebody said you know the real part of this analysis is just like a paper I had published about a year ago um, there's very little acknowledgement of my paper and the methodology and the data set is basically the same. Yes, they may have run their own analysis, but it's basically the same and gave me the reference of their own paper so that it was easy for me to look look at it. But yes, if you know that there's that it's very much like something else and you think it was plagiar plagiarized, you should flag that for the editor. And if you can send the paper that you think was plagiarized, that's really helpful. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you so much. Let me now invite Mina to take us through the process for responding to, to reviews. And again, please continue to post your questions on the question windows on the right side of your screen. So Mina, over to you. Um, thank you very much, Michelle. So what I'll be covering uh, in the next 15, 20 minutes is the other half of the refereeing process which is that I've submitted a paper and I've now got a response from the journal. So just to set us up, what I'd like to do is to take you through sort of the three main kinds of responses that we get. Uh, the first is uh, a reject, uh, or you might get a revise and resubmit, or you'll get an accept. The accept is pretty unlikely. It's unlikely that from the get-go, going to be accepted without, uh, with just the editor reviewing it. So the first category, let's get that out of the way, which is the death reject or reject after review. Um, I've been talking to some editors across the board, and just to give you a sense of numbers, 
The test critic rates vary from 30 to 50%, depending on what, what journal you look, at, you look at. There's also rejection after review, which ranges from 40 to 55%. Uh, so I'll speak briefly about what to do if you get one of these kinds of rejects. And then I'll walk you through a little bit of what you might do if you get a major revise and resubmit. And often this happens over multiple rounds. And at this stage, according to some of the editors that I've spoken to, uh, say 10 to 15% actually will come back with a, with a major revision. Of those, then it's unlikely that paper will get rejected, although it does happen. It's not a guarantee. But after you've got a revise and resubmit, the chances of, of getting published actually get much higher. If you're one of these people who's lucky enough just to get a minor revision, that usually means that the editor is likely to accept it. So that's also a case that I do not uh, intend to cover in the, next, uh, in the next few minutes. So let's turn to the next slide. Um, Cheryl, could I request you to? So let's look at the death reject cases. So the death reject simply means that the editor is uh, not happy and has decided that uh, this is not a good fit for the journal. And this might happen either because the topic itself is not a good fit for the journal audience, or it's the editor's assessment that the paper has weaknesses or that it does not constitute a significant contribution to the literature. Now, one useful tip to take away is that you, the automatic sort of reaction should not be, okay, so I tried here and it didn't get through. Let me just get onto the website of another journal and go ahead and, uh, and, and submit, submit it there. That's usually not a good idea. It's important to sort of look at the editor's letter and say, why was it? I thought this was a good journal to submit my paper to. So why did the editor say that this was not a good fit for the journal? You might even ask yourself, I saw a very similar paper published there two years ago, or three years ago, and my paper is quite similar to that. Why is it that the editor thinks now suddenly that my paper is, uh, is not a good fit for the journal? So there are many reasons for that. Maybe first that you didn't sell the paper properly, so you, you need to go back and rewrite the introduction. But also remember that journal editors change over time, journal priorities change over time. And so it's possible that something that the journal was very interested in two years ago, three years ago, is not of such great interest uh, to, the, to the current editor. So that can also happen. But the main reason I think is simply, they mean what they say, that it's not a good fit and that maybe you need to go back and do some homework on why it was that there was uh, this mismatch. If it happens that what we get is an assessment that this was not a significant contribution to the literature, then that's also something we should be thinking about uh, before deciding whether I should just send it same paper lower down or whether I should uh, whether I should actually take those comments seriously on board. So let's say, in fact, Cheryl, could you move to the next slide? So let's say it turns out that the paper was in fact sent out for review and it comes back and it comes back with the, the reject after review. And the first instinct of all of us is to get very defensive 
to, to sort of say they didn't really understand the paper. They didn't spend the time on the paper to, to actually uh, look at it in, in great detail. So I think the first thing to remind ourselves is just to take a deep breath and, and not get defensive about what the referees are saying. Because remember that the editors are uh, doing what's best for the journal and they want to publish uh, good papers. And if, if the paper goes out to three referees and none of them is particularly enthusiastic or only one person has a lukewarm response, it's, it's unlikely that three people haven't found the time to read through it yet. So you, you do need to sort of uh, think about why this happened and go back to the drawing board uh, as necessary. But once again, my advice would be that before we decide to send it out to yet another journal, it's important that we go through the same process of selecting uh, a journal. And if it's already been six months since you've heard and you have a promotion coming up where publication numbers matter, uh, this is something that you might want to factor in in a decision about where to, where to send it next. But once again, it's not a good idea to submit the paper in the same form as we, as you first sent it out to just yet another journal for several reasons, some of which we covered in previous, uh, in previous sessions. Uh, for instance, there's a very good chance that it will go back to the same, same referee. And if the, even if the referee goes back to the editor saying, hey, uh, actually I reviewed this for another journal. So, and usually most reviewers will say that so that the editor knows that this is the second time this paper is hitting the desk of a particular referee. But the reviewer, if the reviewer says, but I noticed that you know, these detailed comments that I, that I made, none of them have been taken on board, then that's actually not a good signal uh, to, be, to be sending out that somebody has spent the time and effort to give you feedback. And just because it's a reject, you decide you don't have to do uh, anything about it. So, I think the advice would be to just go ahead and address the substantive comments, uh, re-estimate, re-analyze, reinterpret, rewrite, do whatever it takes to sort of take those on board if, if you buy into that. And really treat the rejection as, as, a, as a device and resubmit. That's probably the best thing you can do. And, and the only difference from this and a device and resubmit is that we don't actually have to write up a, a, reference, a response to the referee or a response to the, the editor. Let's go to the next slide, Sharu. So let's say that we're lucky enough that we, after review, we did not get a rejection and we got a decision to major to submit, uh, but submit after a major revise. This is actually very good news. Although it feels like, okay, I've got to do a huge amount of more work, why couldn't they have just accepted it? Actually, this is an excellent news uh, because as I, as I indicated by presenting some of the acceptance rates on the, on the first slide, that the odds of this now getting published actually increased substantially. But it's important to take the reviewers' comments seriously. In other words, don't try to write a response that is just trying to argue your way out of the, uh, of the critique uh, or to provide a rebuttal of why you think the referees are wrong because the wordsmithing your way out of, uh, of reviewers' comments is very easy to spot. And by saying that the referees are all wrong and they don't know what they're talking about, you're actually questioning the editor's judgment and, and no editor is going to be happy for, for that to happen. 
So most referees will actually distinguish between major and minor comments. Uh, and in case they don't do that, the first thing to do when, when you go through the referee uh, reports is to pass out what we think are major comments or what we think are minor comments. And the editor will also often provide guidance on what uh, they think are the most important things that the revision must address. And, and maybe this is a good place to address one of the questions that was raised, uh, that if uh, one referee says, you know, this section is great, uh, you should expand on it, and the other referee says, hey, this section is really terrible, you ought to drop it or cut, it, cut down on it, this is really the call for the editor to make. And most editors will see, they'll review the responses before sending it back out to you, uh, it's the editor's call to say, well, you need to listen to referee A and you can ignore this part of referee B. And in case they don't do that, that if you feel that there's an inherent contradiction in addressing, let's say, two sets of comments, then that's an appropriate question to ask the editor. Hey, I noticed that there's a sort of conflict between what referee A wants me to do and what referee B wants me to do. So how do you suggest we go about this? And let the editor then uh, suggest a way of either incorporating both sets of making both referees happy or, or telling you which referees' comments you think you need to focus more on. Um, so, so get guidance from the, from the editor if, if that situation arises. So let's say that we have taken on board all the suggestions and comments that referees have written. It's now time to uh, write a, a referee rebuttal, uh, and I'm calling it a rebuttal, but it's not a rebuttal in the sense of uh, saying that I you know, agree here, don't agree here. It, it really is a response and, and a detailing of all the comments of the referee and how you have, uh, you have incorporated them. So let's move to the next slide and let me uh, give you some suggestions on how to go about. So remember, as Cheryl just said, that you know, as a, as a reviewer, you would probably get back the paper with the revisions and, and they go back to the referees. So since it goes back to the referees, and usually this process has taken three or four months um, before it comes back, because you've taken the time to address all these comments, it's important to sit down and detail out what comments the referees made, and how you responded to them, and take the time to do it, even if it means that for a single referee, you're act they gave you one page of comments and you're giving them six pages back by way of a response, that's absolutely, it's absolutely fine. And it's also useful to make life easier for the referee, so just copy out the comment in the same order as the, as the, as the referee made them, and beneath each of the comments, just detail the response that we want to make about how we addressed it, uh, or how we didn't address it. And I want to emphasize the need to make life easier for the referees as well as for the editors. It's worth taking the time to say, okay, now I've built up my manuscript. This comment is addressed on page number X, paragraph Y, and line number Z, simply because you shouldn't make the referee spend time looking for the, the place where you made these suggestions so that they can easily spot. This is what I asked them to do. This is what they've done, and is there a match? Have they done the job that I thought they needed to be doing? So, so you need to make it easy for them to verify that the comments that they have made have actually been um, incorporated in a, in a meaningful way. 
So what I'd like to do now is give take you through some specific examples. I apologize that most of these, not all, uh, are taken from papers uh, that I have written, and these are referee comments modified suitably, suitably uh, to papers that I and my co-authors have written. And uh, so I just wanted to apologize for the fact that they're drawn from economics uh, and not a wider uh, range of disciplines. But I think the principles will, will still be uh, instructive. So, Let's do, take an example where the referee has suggested a different methodology, a different empirical strategy, and you say, hey, that's actually a good idea. Let me go ahead and, and try this out. And you find that the results have changed. So then I think it's important that we acknowledge the fact that the results have changed. So by way of an example, there is a referee who says, I cannot see how you determine meaningful Y estimates without including Z in the modeling as a covariate. Bottom line, Z influences Y, which leads to biased results if not included in the model. Please show the results of Z. So what we responded by saying we thank the referee for pointing this out because that had escaped us. So we write that we re-estimated all the models after incorporating Z. These estimated parameters are highly significant. They're positive. Look at tables X and Y or A and B. And as a consequence, we've overhauled all the Y estimates, including the double difference estimates. These are now in tables C and D, and all these tables are new. These are new to this version of the manuscript. They weren't there earlier because the earlier version did not have Z. And here are the ways in which our results get modified. Earlier, we had concluded this. Now we believe this to be the story, or that maybe it's also the case that the story hasn't changed much. Uh, we find that our earlier results hold up in light of this new estimation strategy and just detail them out. So let's move to the next example. Cheryl, if you move. The, the other kind of uh, comment that the referee can make is not necessarily about methodology, but about how you've actually positioned the paper. So let's say the referee says the paper is far too descriptive and superficial. There's scant detail about what the underlying theory is. It needs better connection between the theory case discussion. So again, take the time to read, to do your homework and just tell the referee that we appreciate the opportunity to clarify how our analysis draws on the theoretical literature on the feminization of agriculture and the broader implications of our study. We've reworked the literature review to highlight the major questions about the effect of migration on agricultural labor and decision-making. You point the, the referee to the page in which you've done this. Uh, in the discussion section, again, referring to the page, perhaps line numbers, we return to these questions, highlighting what our study shows and how important it is uh, when we talk about the intersectionality that we believe has not seen as much uh, as much detail. So this is not about methodology. It was more about how you motivate it and then how the how you interpret the results. Uh, the third example is where the referee thinks that that what you're saying is oversold, that you're overselling your case, and in your heart of hearts you agree that you know you may be making the case out to be stronger than it actually is. It's let's just go ahead and acknowledge it. So let's say the referee says. I still think that the empirical estimates of Y1 and Y2 are not reliable, and the inference based on these is questionable. So the response to that might read, as noted on page A, lines B and C, 
we explicitly acknowledge the limitations of estimating this kind of a function using single cross section. We highlight that our comparisons involving Y1 and Y2 are based on whatever statistical method. Uh, and this gives us a measure of confidence in the robustness of our results. So here's a scenario where uh, this is not about re-estimating, but really uh, highlighting the fact that maybe the, the estimates are not as strong or as, as uh, non-existent as, as you might you might. The next example is a situation where uh, I'm sure we encountered this, that we dis disagree with a specific comment of the referee. Uh, and, and so we feel that what the referee is saying is not correct. And we need to provide, here's where the rebuttal comes in. This is where you want to give uh, a, a sort of response that says why you disagree with the comment. Of so the referee comment in this case said, I did not like the analysis in section this at all. It doesn't directly speak to the theoretical framework that's presented and interpreting the coefficients is far from straightforward. I propose that you drop all these results and rewrite the paper as a much shorter and more focused contribution. And so what we decided to write back is to say that, look, we don't think that this analysis was um, was at all superfluous or that it wasn't tied to the underlying theoretical structure. We wrote back saying we believe that the analysis in this section is still of interest. And then we cited the recent work that showed this kind of analysis to be important. We give specific examples of what papers address this, what those papers show, and why that therefore bolsters the case for having this kind of analysis as a big part of the paper and then say, for this reason, we prefer to return this analysis. But then you also need to give the referee some, some credit and say, OK, if you think it's over, it's overstated or it's overblown, we can make it shorter. So that's one way to approach a response to a comment that you, that you don't agree with. You can't sort of oppose the, the entirety of the comments made by the referee. But if there's something specific that the referee says that you don't happen to agree with, it's important to argue your case uh, using, using the literature. And the final example um, is that uh, the referee asks you to basically go to the moon and bring an example of moon rock back or the equivalent of that uh, in, in, in the analysis. So again, it's important to say, yes, that would be lovely if we could have done that. Uh, but we can't. So the referee comment says, I don't believe these estimates can be vested with causal interpretation without panel data because you're unable to capture plot level heterogeneity. And, and the response to that might be, yeah, we agree. It would have been nice if we had panel data, but you know what? We don't actually have it. However, to account for some of this heterogeneity that the panel data might have addressed, uh, what we have done is, let's say, included soil characteristics and then referred the referee to the paragraphs on page or a table on a particular page and then say that we discuss possible reasons for bias and why therefore the bias the potential bias may not be such a big concern for your present analysis so once again be upfront about the fact saying that this is not this is not feasible uh, but but what this additional data would have helped you say here's how you try to address it uh, in, in your own analysis so these are just some examples of how you might approach situations in which you've got referee comments and that you need to that you might 
need to write responses to. And it's very easy to see that this is uh, this can easily go on to five, six, or seven pages. So the final step, uh, if I can go to the last slide, is or the next last slide. The final step is to actually then provide a summary to the editor. And here you you can actually follow the same advice that Cheryl gave in terms of writing a, a sort of reviewer comments. What you say to the editor, you can do the same thing. Provide a summary of what you have written, flag the major changes that are there in, in the paper, and uh, say that I've, you know, the additional details are in the, in, the, in the detailed response to you. So finally, next slide. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to say that uh, remember that referees are not our enemies, although sometimes it feels like that you know they're out to kill the paper. Uh, but remember that, that they're vested in um, helping us become better researchers. And this is really what peer review is, is all about. Um, and the editors are busy people as our referees. And the easier that we make it for them, the easier it is for them to reach, uh, reach a decision. And it's really important to take revise and resubmit seriously because, as I said, the odds increase, but it's not that a major revise and resubmit will automatically get translated into an acceptance. And the two main reasons why at this stage also things can get rejected uh, is that either that the comments were uh, not addressed or the author seemed very casual about the way these uh, the comments were addressed, or that the referees are really not convinced that the comments that they made were taken on board, uh, taken on, on board seriously. So in the end, actually, I want to simply reiterate uh, something that Ashok had said uh, last Monday, uh, which is that the, the inputs and judgment of the best experts are being brought to bear uh, to, to the work that we do. And, uh, and therefore, it's important to see this in that spirit and, and see this as a way of making our own work the best that it possibly can be. And, and, and sort of let others see how how wonderful this research is. So I'll stop there. Thank you, Mina. Very good piece of advice on how best to respond to the to the referees' comments and and very useful case examples you've highlighted on the on the rules for the revise and submitting process. It's particularly encouraging to to know that there is room for disagreement with uh, with the referees. I just wonder to what extent this might influence the the decision uh, the decision process in terms of rejecting or accepting and, and, and so on and so forth but we'll come back to that uh, let's go back to the question we had uh, I know you've you've you, you've talked about it on on the the, the construct the, the contrasting views uh, between the reviewers and the need to take advice from 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 the editor but uh, I believe here there are many things that we will want to, to take into account in this process. You've talked a lot about the methodological aspect. You also talked about the theoretical part of it. How then, uh, from the editor perspective, uh, will he advise in terms of how do we go about the two contrasting views, especially if for the methodology, it can be straightforward. The theory, I'm not very sure. How then do we deal with these contrast, uh, contrasting uh, reviews? Um, 
Maybe, Mr. Cheryl, you might want to step in. All I can say is that I have ha I've been at the receiving end of contrasting rep reviews, where the editor mm -hmm. has in intervened and also told me basically that you can ignore referee X, because that is the editor's uh, responsibility. And as having been an associate editor and handled uh, many submissions myself, if I see that happening, I try and preempt it by writing in my cover letter that these are the things you need to focus on. So I acknowledge, so I, don't, I won't necessarily say that don't you know, ignore so-and-so -so and take so-and-so on board, but I will say that these are the main things that I want to see, that I want you to take away and respond to. And, and, and that's sort of an implicit way of saying that focus on this, don't worry about it but maybe Cheryl should add to this. Cheryl, do you want to chip in? Sure. I think the challenge is always then as the author when you're trying to write the referee your response. Um, but both the, the reviewers ought to have the reviews from all the reviewers plus the editor's letter. So you can say, mm -hmm. th you know, thank you for this comment. The other reviewer suggested that I do this other thing, and the editor suggested that I do that. Um, so I'm not actually doing what you've said. And then I think, it, as Mina said on the on earlier, right? There's often a way to say, but somehow I heard part of what you were saying and have been able to adjust it this way. Um, so if you can say that you at least heard the concern. Um, and sometimes you can add a sentence or two or something that acknowledges what it was that they were concerned about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, great. So there is a question here from Gasho Alemu on the general questions to from the reviewers. And he said, it's difficult to address them and write response. Do you have any tips on how to to deal with general questions from the from the reviewers, I believe the uh, he's talking about questions that are not very much related to the methodology or the theory. Who wants to go, Cheryl? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, reviewers sometimes they say all kinds of things, right? It's um, it's partly why I really said that when you're reviewing, you want to think about the kind of thing that you want to receive, what's going to be helpful. So you will get sort of general comments. Um, sometimes the reviewers will kind of go off and tell you something about some other paper that's not really relevant. Um, you can kind of always tie it back. You can thank them for what they've said, mm -hmm. um, say, yes, that's a, that's a great question. Um, We've addressed it in this way, but basically that's not the question we're trying to address in this particular paper. We're, you know, we're trying to stay focused. We're trying to um, address a particular topic. That said, sometimes, I mean, I've had authors who said, you know, I can't possibly address that. That's out of the scope. It's right when when they really are missing the important part of what the reviewer is asking them to do. So it, it there is a tension there. And often it's useful to get, if you're really stuck on it, go ask somebody else, get a, a senior colleague or a mentor to read it and talk you through what, what you can do. Um, 
Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Mina, there is a there is a, a comment here on the on on the civility in responding to to reviewers' comments. Uh, <laughs> This is from Geoffrey from ICRISAT, and he's thanking you for highlighting that uh, that specific point, which I think um, it's very important, going back to what Cheryl was talking about in the first section, that we want to receive uh, uh, reviews that we are also able to make and also get encouragement to continue what, uh, what we are doing. So uh, the, I think his point is really on emphasizing appreciation of reviewers regardless of the fact that you may agree or disagree uh, with the comment mm -hmm. and this goes back to what you said about the seriousness on the process of submitting revising and and and, and resubmitting do you want to say something more about that um no i think civility is uh... It will come naturally once we take this in the spirit in which it's, it's intended. And as I mentioned, even if we happen to disagree, there's a way to convey that. Uh, if I just say we respectfully disagree and leave it at that, then, mm -hmm. you know, yes, we've said it civilly, but it, it carries no weight. Um, you, you have to say why you disagree and, you know, provide so, so let the referee know that you have put some thought into it. And, mm -hmm. and, and here are the reasons why you feel you cannot take this on board. So civility in language, of course, but, but I think civility in terms of giving the referee the, the, the view that, that, they, that is owed to them by saying, I have thought through this and I, and I don't happen to agree with you and here are reasons why. So as long as you make a convincing case for that, I think Okay. Yeah, there is a question here about the time constraints. This is for Mariola Costa. She's saying that um, we may want to review as many people, as many papers as we want, but sometimes it's not possible. Um, uh, when time constraint does not allow you to review all the paper, would you say it's there is a minimum number of paper one should review per year. I I don't think there's a there's a set number. Um, in some sense, you can think about however many papers you're submitting off into the how many times you're submitting, and that every time you're submitting something, two people at least two or three people have to review it. So you might think about it in that kind of a way. Um, I think we all have moments in our careers when we are able to to review quite a few papers, and it, that's a good moment to be able to do that. And other moments when you when you can't, but you can pick and choose a little bit about which ones you want to review. You don't have to review everything that comes through. And again, the worst the worst scenario from my point of view as an editor is when somebody says, "Yes, I'll review it. Can I have an extra month?" Oh, sorry. Um, I still haven't had a chance to do it. I'll get it to you in two weeks. And then they go silent. And so it's now three months later, you don't have a review and you have to go and start again and find another reviewer for that paper. So review it. If you've got too many on your plate, um, then then say no. And that's, that's fine. Um, 
but everybody should be everybody who's a productive researcher should be reviewing papers some number of papers every year. I don't want to say it's what that number is because I think it varies. <laughs> <laughs> review the ones that Ina and I ask you to review though, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I think we should be able to do take as many as, you know, if you feel that you can get to it, you've been given three weeks, you can turn it around in three weeks. I personally learn a quite a bit just by reviewing these papers because that's the kind of stuff that I have I'm compelled to read line by line. If I pick up a journal, I'll often skim through it, try and get a sense of you know what what the authors are trying to say. Um, I think it's 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 useful. I find refereeing to be extremely useful. So if your time permits it, I'm not saying you you know suspend all other activities, but time permitting, I think it's it's a good thing to say yes and to do a decent job. But sometimes, you know, for instance, I get PhD dissertations to review and I know that I have two already that I haven't looked at. Don't take them on and, and, and say that I'm, you know, or tell them I can do this after such and such day, but not before. It's, it's yeah. There's no number that I can, that I can. <laughs> Definitely <that>. no. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and probably in the same line of thoughts, th there is a question here, uh, I believe uh, the, the participant is asking when you are getting a, a revise and probably we submit, but the time that is given for, for the review is short, uh, do you have any option to, to ask for more time? This is from Danube Gongang, yeah. Is there a possibility to ask for more time yes. to review the paper? So, uh, you know, I've certainly done that, but, you know, let's say we've been asked to turn it around in a month. Um, you might say, look, I'll do it in six weeks. Uh, I can't do it for X, Y, and Z reasons, but it should not be the case that they ask you to do it in a month and you tell them, okay, I'll get back to you in 10 months. I mean, that, so, so yes, there's some wiggle room. I think most editors are, mm -hmm. Uh, sympathetic and appreciate the fact that you need a little bit more time, but we need to be reasonable. I've done that myself. Uh, December is sort of peak teaching time, grading time. There's no way that I can get to things in December, so I always say I'll turn it around in January. Cheryl? Yeah, some of the journals are really pushing those revise and resubmits to come back through quickly. I think world development now is typically asking for them back in six weeks, um, mm -hmm. which can be quite a challenge at particular moments in the teaching cycle or in a, in a research project. Um, to some extent, the amount of time that they're giving you is somewhat commensurate with what they're expecting of you to do, right? They're not expecting, they can't be expecting you to do six months worth of work on the paper yeah. if they're only giving you six weeks to do it um but you can always ask for a little bit more time as mina said but i think it's also useful to remember that deadlines are good um, we all need deadlines it's really it's such a good feeling when you turn those back around and and get them back in so yeah, yeah. i'm sorry to interrupt but i just lost power in my apartment so <laughs> Uh, which is why I'm black, I'm running off of battery, but if I disappear, uh, I, I do have my video on, I've, I've just lost power. Sorry about that. That's okay, Mina. 
Yeah, um, there is also another interesting question here on re uh, revising, in the revise and submitting process, the editors come up with key things to focus on. Um, do you know, do you, well, focus, so should we focus on the editor's comment or leave and leave all the reviewers' comments? Uh, then in the response letter, do we say sorry? We just go with the editor's submissions, the, the editor's suggestions. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the, can, the we, can, we can we choose between the editor and the reviewers? They shouldn't be completely different. The yeah. editor shouldn't be making up comments that didn't come from one of the reviewers. What the editor should be doing is highlighting which pieces of it are the most important. You need to address the editor's comments because they're the one making the final decision, but they're probably gonna go back, if, it tell, if they tell you that it's gonna go back to the reviewers, then you need to respond to what the reviewers have said. Um, you can do it in such a way that say, thank you for this comment, but um, the editor's, Right, I understand what you're saying. The editor suggested I do it in this kind of a way and this is how I've done it. Um, but you wanna acknowledge, right? If it's going back to the reviewer, you wanna acknowledge what they've said. And, and the editor is probably gonna be asking that reviewer whether that part of it has been resolved. So you need to write, you need to write something to the editor. It can be some of the same things you're pulling out of that and then putting in the comments to the reviewer, but you still need detailed comments to the reviewers. Yeah, and and, and the follow-up question to that, uh, uh, Cheryl and, and maybe Mina, um, in terms of uh, responding to the editors and, uh, and, and the reviewers, if we, we get to in a position where we we are not able to make a case uh, as you were explaining mina uh, about a specific methodology uh, how do we what do you recommend needs to be done do we just follow the 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 the, the, the recommendations that are being made or should we get a process that becomes lengthy because we are in a back and forth process of uh, not understanding each other so, um, so I want to take the time, the lengthy time process bit out of it because I do know sometimes this process takes uh, quite a while and if I've got a sort of promotion or I want to build up my CV so I move to the next stage. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't want to get into those. Uh, but the point is the referee is making suggestions that you know, they think you can implement. And so you have to have a very good reason for why that doesn't make sense. Um, mm -hmm. Especially if this, and usually you'll find that certain things are common across all referees. So you should be in a position to take those comments on board. And if it's, uh, it's, if it's not feasible, uh, that's a different story. And then you say, well, I can't do this. And then uh, that's probably going to come back as a, as, as a reject. But usually referees are good about saying, this is what I suggest you do. Here's a paper you might want to take a look at and, and see how they've approached it. Usually they're 
pretty constructive about the direction in which we need to go find uh, you know, find for so that we can actually understand what they're getting at and then apply it to our own work. Great. Yeah. And and we, we still have a, a, a couple of questions. I think these are from Roots. Uh, again, on the civility, uh, she's mentioning uh, Mina again on the good work you've, you've done in underscoring the need to be respectful in terms of, uh, of replies. And her questions are, what should you do if you get a review that you feel is pushing their own article inappropriately and secondly do you have to cite them all or can you write a cover letter to the editor to explain this so uh, if it does happen i would again recommend the path of least resistance uh, if it is a, a case of citing a couple of you know additional citations in the lit review and I'm assuming that you know this was sort of egregious citation that they're asking you to do. It's mm -hmm. not that you missed uh, reviewing this work in your own lit review. So, so this is just some referee trying to say that you must uh, cite their paper. Um, if it's if it's easy enough to sort of incorporate into the lit review, uh, do so. Uh, you don't have to spend a great deal of time on on that paper. Uh, but if it is a if it's a situation where you feel that this is a completely unrelated, this is something to flag for the editor to say that you know I I'm, I don't see that these are relevant. And again, make sure that you know we've read the paper so that we can say we look through this paper. Here's why we don't think it's relevant. You know, they're talking about A and I'm talking about B. Whatever it is, the the important thing is for the for the editor and the referee to say that. To realize that you thought about it and not just said, hey, you know, that's just completely outside the realm of what I'm trying to look at, so I don't want to take it on. So it's, it's at the same time, if it's you know, if it's a relatively minor thing to incorporate, there's no harm in doing so. If it's relevant. Yeah. Cheryl, do do you want to add to this? I think that's good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we are almost getting to the end of of this sec of this uh, session, uh, and and as we wrap up, I would like to to turn to to you, uh, Mina and Cheryl again, and ask you. Uh, I, I believe there are many early career scientists out there listening, or they will be listening to the to the recordings. Uh, what is your message of encouragement to them as they initiate or proceed in their journey into the publication process? Um, I think it's good practice to present your work in different fora before you submit to a journal. Because a lot of the rough edges uh, get sort of smoothed out by presenting your work to your peers, uh, to present your paper at conferences. It, it also establishes you as somebody who is working in this area, and it actually does help in, you know, uh, removing the kinks from uh, from the paper because you realize when you present it that oh I thought I was doing a great job selling it but the audience didn't get it um, and and so maybe I need to reframe how I how, how I do the introduction so uh, 
I think with the kind of resources that we have available, getting input into our work and, and making it better uh, is is actually much easier than many when many of us were starting out on, on this journey. So so take advantage of the of the resources that that we have and uh, and and keep focusing on quality. I think it's it's very easy to spot a CV which has 50 publications which are of dubious quality versus five publications which are really excellent. The, the academic world, at least, and the, I think the scientific community does place a premium on quality. So, so it's good to try and not compromise uh, on quality at any cost. Great. So, yeah. I would just add on that, that the reviewers should not be the first people to read your paper. Um, you should have had, um, not only should you be presenting it, which I would agree completely, but you ought to be sharing drafts of the paper um, with colleagues, um, with peers, with your mentors, with other people, having people read it. Um, when they say they don't understand something, um, you may disagree with them, but think about what it is, why, why is it that they didn't understand it? What what's not clear about your work? Um, I'm I'm I do see students um, and early career re researchers who really want to hold their papers close at hand and not share them with anybody or talk about what they are. Um, but that's not how we learn, and that's not how we um, that's not how our work gets better. Our work gets better when we talk about it, share it, get comments on it. That's as true for me at my career stage as it is for early career researchers. I never submit a paper to a journal without having several other people read it first. And often I've presented it numerous times as well, but, but people to actually read that draft. If you're struggling with your English, um, then have somebody read it and do a proofreading of it. Um, the journals generally won't make a decision not to publish something because your English isn't good. But if it's hard to read and hard to follow, you're making it a lot more work for the reviewer to review it. That's going to bias them. They're going to think not only don't you know how to write in English, but maybe you're not thinking very clearly, too. So to the extent that you can get somebody to read it and help clean it up a little bit, that's really, really helpful. Um, but I think the other thing Mina said today that's really helpful is that when you get a revise and resubmit or a reject and resubmit, that is great news. I have people who I'm always surprised at the number of people who say, oh, well, I don't want to can't be bothered with that. You know, that's too hard. No, you you've made it. You've made it a long way in the process and you really need to take that seriously. And yes, it's hard, but your paper is going to be better and it's very likely to get published at that stage. So move forward with those, unless they're really asking you some, to do something that you can't do with the data that you have. Um, but otherwise, you should see that as a really positive sign um, that you should move ahead with your work. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Mina. This is brilliant. And um, these words of encouragement, we are receiving a vote of thanks from uh, Dr. Rosemary Boate from Nigeria. And she's saying that she really wants to say thank you to the speakers because you have exposed a lot and you've given her, and I believe many others, the reason, a reason to continue to write paper and receive comments from the editors. So I think this is very encouraging. 
And um, we want to thank all of you who have been part of this process. Uh, I want to acknowledge Ruth, my Zendik, and Ingvenia, uh, who have also worked tirelessly on the preparation of this uh, webinar. Thank you to all our participants for joining us again today and all your great questions. Um, a big thank you to all our organizers, the CGR Research uh, Program on Policies, Institutions and Markets, uh, the CGR Standing Panel on Impact Assessment and Award. Uh, all our contributors, I will want to think about our journal editors who joined us uh, for the second webinars, the, the moderators and all the resource pe people who have also worked closely uh, together to make this happen again today. So thank you very much uh, for your participation and we hope to see you again in uh, probably another uh, webinar series. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you.